Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, our weekly Tuesday podcast. Guys, hope you had a good new year. Hope our listeners had a good new year. Hard to believe it's 2018, but let's get it started. And Ross, I'll begin with you. Last week, we really hit on the next five games for North Carolina and how it would define the season, sort of, or at least play a big role in how Carolina finishes up after the Wake Forest game, where Carolina came up big at the end and made plays to win that game. Did that outcome and the way that game played out change your ideas over these next four that Carolina goes into starting Wednesday night with Florida State? Yeah, I think everyone thought that Wake Forest would be one of the easier games out of that five-game stretch or so. In fact, it was at home and just seeing what Wake has done so far this season, how they're a year or so away from being you know, a, a good ACC team. But the fact that they came back on UNC, because it, it just felt like UNC was in full control of that game. And then next thing you know, Wake hits three threes, I think, on, uh, on three or four possessions. And they're up, um, or they're tied, or even up against UNC, and that was surprising that UNC would allow them to come back like that, and that just shows the value of three-point shooting in this day and age. But that is concerning um, how Wake came back and and kind of the the defensive effort by UNC. I thought there was a lot of just maybe miscommunications or just lack of effort in terms of uh, Wake having a lot of opportunities to drive the lane and to have open uncontested threes that a team with shooters like Wake, for example, and other teams they're going to face, knocked down. And that was the difference. Um, and it, it took some late-game heroics to beat. Uh, and you might not have the opportunity at uh, away game scenarios you know, in Tallahassee. And Greg Ross makes good points there. But I guess the, the thing to build off of that that sort of gives me cause for concern for this version of North Carolina, a couple of things. One, perimeter defense is not there. and the interior guys, we've talked about the young bigs, they're being put in situations to defend dribble drives that are not ready for. And also, uh, the second part of that, we can go deeper later as the show progresses, is they continue to come out like a daisical every other game, it seems like. The Wofford game, the Wake Forest games, the most recent examples, but against a team like Wake Forest, you need to step on a team like that's throat and they're not doing it. And that that alone will be a concern over these next couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of a complex issue with uh, the defensive situation because it, really to date, North Carolina has played a lot of teams that kind of play small lineups. Um, and so North Carolina has an advantage just because of sheer size inside. Uh, and when you're not playing you know, ACC caliber opponents, you can kind of pad your stats that way. It's kind of like playing an FCS team in, in football. You score a lot of points and it makes your offensive numbers look better or vice versa. Uh, so when you look at you know, North Carolina's defensive numbers, you say, hey, they're 12th nationally in Kid Palm. Uh, and then you say, well, clearly the issue is three-point shooting because they're, I think, 276 in three-point field goal percentage defense, but yet they're top 20 in two-point field goal percent defense. But the way it plays out, and, and you guys know this, you've followed Roy Williams for a long time, and this goes for pretty much everybody listening, is he is going to take away that close shot to the rim. 
He wants to take that shot away regardless. And it's not a matter of just being willing to leave open three-point shooters. He wants to take away that inside shot first and foremost without having to give up those outside shots. But what has happened, and Theo Penson talked about this at length after the Wake Forest game, is that when a, when a team's trying to drive on you, what you want to do is even if you can't stop them from driving, you want to change their angle of pursuit. So if they want to go straight down the paint, you want to at least get in their way enough to make them go kind of diagonal across the paint just to kind of change what they're wanting to do. Too many times in that Wake Forest game, they were turning the edge and they had a clear shot at the rim. So what's going to happen in that situation is UNC's players are taught time and time again to help off their uh, players, their offensive players, to stop that penetration. And there were a number of times, even in the first half when Wake didn't shoot the ball well, where Wake's penetrator would kick out and there'd be a guy that had nobody within five feet of him for three. And in the first half, they missed several of those. Well, they took advantage in the second half, and that's why they went on that big run. So it's kind of a twofold issue. Yes, North Carolina needs to do a better job defending the three, but it starts with being able to defend the ball better. And that gets into your your comment, Tommy, about being a little bit lethargic early in games. And it's, it's almost like we've talked about this time and time again, where through the course of the year, Roy harps on defense, 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 because he knows that his offensive system, as well as the skill set of these players, will eventually get their scoring points. But it's the defense that's really the issue. And in the really good years, right, in, in 05, in 08, in 09, 2012 for the large part, in the last year, what happened? You get in the NCAA tournament play, these guys understand, okay, now it's important. Now we have to play defense every single possession, and they hold teams under 40% shooting for that entire tournament. Um, and so that's where you would like to get to. But the problem with this team is they're so limited on the inside. I think for them to be able to win a lot of games in the ACC, they've got to have that level of intensity game in and game out. They can't just go in and say, hey, we're balanced enough, we're we can score enough that we can beat teams just being average defensively, and then we can turn it on later in the year. I don't think this team is good enough to do that. Wake showed, you know, Wake's not a good team. Wake's going to be fortunate to, to win you know, 50% of their games. I think they'll probably end the year with a losing record. But North Carolina really struggled with, with that defensive aspect. Uh, and so I think that's going, to be, that's going to be something important for them to build upon and improve on, and we can talk about offense all you want, but there's enough scores here that even though they're going to have some some bad games here and there, they're good enough offensively, but they got to have that defensive intensity. Ross, building on that, one thing that I've always not really liked about Williams's philosophy, and you can't really argue with it because it works, and he's won championships, but to Greg's point, he – would rather you not get a layup or a good shot inside and give up the open three. Well, I've always thought a contested layup over a big, someone like Sterling Manley for this team, much tougher shot than a wide open three or even a three where somebody closes out just too late. And Wake Forest did that several times. I can't remember the exact time on the clock or what the situation was, but I think Luke May helped down on someone, left his guy or left a guy wide open in the corner, they hit a three. That's – I don't think this team can score the ball 
enough to play like that. Your thoughts on what Greg had to say in that little bit I added for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, I think this day and age with the, the level of shooters and even the last couple of years, the players are super focused on making threes, and that's a big part of the game and how it's evolved. So, yeah, the three-point shot's a, a real deadly weapon that is a lot easier to make than maybe it used to be. And, you know, it, yeah, what, what Greg said in terms of the inside shots, that's how kind of he rolls his offense. You know, Coach Williams rolls his offense. You know, he wants to have that balanced attack with a lot of, scoring inside and so he wants to defend that as well because he knows that's the the way teams can beat him if they if they're dominant inside and, and beat you inside beat you and see uh scoring in the paint yeah and, and wake forest kind of exposed some of unc's defensive issues and i thought one thing to kind of point to kind of building off that and moving in a different direction was how joel barry didn't have his best game and he kind of admitted that in the locker room after I think he is the one player that UNC turns to to kind of bring that defensive intensity and offensive intensity. And I think he was just seemed a little lost or hesitant or was kind of maybe pushing the issue. And I'd love to see what Greg had to say about what he thought from Joel Berry. And then when Jalik comes in and he gave only five minutes the whole game, he looked lost and almost apathetic on both sides. And I think his stat line is one missed field goal. And that's about it. He shot one three and missed it in five minutes. So he was non-existent. And so when your two kind of point guards have that type of game, now Joel Berry, you know, he scored 16 points, obviously made that that last shot was big. That kind of is what drives UNC. And another thing is that, sure, UNC didn't play their best game. Wake Forest shot pretty well, made 11 threes, I believe, and was there at the end. But UNC did enough to win. And they made plays late, and that's what that experience does for uh for the Tar Heels so I know I bounced around there a lot but it's interesting I think j- what Joel Berry brings and how he's kind of played so far this season is worth discussing because just in talking to certain people it just seems like he's pressing more than he should and maybe feels like he has to do too much to carry this team and 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 how he plays I think is just obviously critical for this team Greg he's certainly the the guy as he goes Carolina's going to go especially this year as opposed in the past, he could have a bad game and Carolina could still win. So your thoughts there, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about, and Dewey talked about it, it was a great point that Kenny Williams and Luke May had never been the focal point of a scouting report from a, a opposing defense. And Barry certainly has to a certain extent, but he doesn't have the help inside Meeks and Hicks. Uh, that he was able to get last year. Justin Jackson was probably the focus uh, for most defenses there, but is Barry struggling with that, being the guy? And it's tough to say that he's now the guy after his last two years, but he's more of the singular guy for this team maybe than he has been in the past. Is it fair to say that he's you know struggling with that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a matter of kind of, determining what works best for him. Um, because as you mentioned, he had so many options the past couple of years. He kind of pick his spots. And this year, he's not shot the ball very well. I mean, he's shooting less than 39% from the floor. Now, he's never been a great shooter. You know, I think for his career, he's maybe shooting 42%. So he's not far off from that, but he is, is off. He's always been more of a volume scorer a little bit. But almost half of his shots have been three-point attempts this year. And when you kind of combine that with the fact that there have been so many times where he drives into the paint trying to get to the rim, 
uh, and is going up against a guy that you know, that's you know, eight to twelve inches taller than him, and he ends up having to throw up kind of a wild shot if he can't draw contact and get the foul. And so it's like those are kind of two extremes, you know, outside shooting or right at the rim. And so you know, the floater that he made to win the game against Wake, I was kind of hoping we would see more of that type of shot. Um, and he, he's something he's really worked on this offseason is that mid-range game. But I think that's kind of what he's got to be willing to do. He's got to be able, when he penetrates, to pull up you know, at the free throw line or maybe just inside and take that shot. He doesn't have to get to the rim every single time if it's going to be a tough contested shot. Yes, you should be trying to be aggressive and get to the rim and draw fouls, but you don't have to be repetitive with it. You have to kind of pick your spots. And I don't think there's any question, kind of to Ross's point, that that he has pressed a little bit. Um, you know, his his assist turnover ratio is good. He's been good defensively. I don't know he's been great, but he's been solid, been good enough. He's a great leader. Uh, so all those things are invaluable. But just from the scoring aspect of it, um, I think he, at times he turns into kind of a spot-up shooter outside, and I don't know if that's best for UNC. It is good for Theo Pinson to serve that facilitator role. And with Barry and Cameron Johnson being able to you know, set up from outside, and, and Kenny Williams being able to set up from outside and just kind of receive passes from the bigs or from Theo, that helps. But you don't want to get into a situation where that's really your only offense. And I think that's where you get into Roy talking about they need to move better. Uh, they kind of just stand around at times. And they you, you don't have that force down low that's going to give you consistent points. You know, Luke May has done a good job, and he'll continue to do a good job against you know, teams that uh, you know have have favorable matchups for him. But we're an ACC play now, and so starting really against Florida State, you're going to see a lot of long, athletic guys uh, that are going to challenge what Luke May wants to do. And so that puts pressure on the other guys to be creative in how they score and not just settle for certain types of shots. And I think that's one area where, where Joel struggled a little bit. Ross, do you think, and this is going to be a, a weird question, but do you think Seventh Wood's injury has hurt maybe the production of, I, I think, Felton? You would think he would blossom with it, but he hadn't. But do you think it's affected really the perimeter play more than people want to say? Or is that just a coincidence, you think? I don't think it's had any effect. I think, honestly, man, what Seventh Woods has brought in the last two years, I know he's been, he hasn't been very healthy the whole time. I mean, he hasn't really brought much. I mean, it's not, it's, it's nothing that Jalik can't do. I don't think, I think they both kind of, you know, turn the ball over a little bit, have their flashes, a couple of assists, a couple of shots here and there, but I don't think this team really misses seventh woods. The only way they would miss him is if they had another injury. Cause I think overall Jalik Felton is a better player. I don't, I don't see a spot where you're like, dang, they could really use seventh woods, you know? So that's, that's the answer I'll give to you. You know, I think, I think fans and then people just wanted, you know, they wanted Seventh Woods to bring a lot more. It's just a shame he hasn't really had the opportunity to do that playing behind Barry and and Nate Britt, and then this year having the injury and kind of struggling through that and confidence issues and all that stuff. So the uh, the Seventh Woods story is yet to be written. I don't disagree there, but I I figured when Woods went down, Felton would be much better. And Greg, yeah. he just he. he you know, he goes from making, what was it, four or five threes at Ohio State to bookends that game with two bad ones. Your thoughts there? I mean, freshman hit a wall. It's a little early for the wall to come pre-ACC, Greg, but your thoughts on Felton and what's going on 
because obviously his head's spinning. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, he's had you know, the Western Carolina game. He had a really good game there, which I think provides confidence. He played well against Ohio State. So, I mean, we're talking, what, two of the last five games, I think, where he's had good games. Would you like his development to be quicker? Sure, absolutely. But I do think that is a silver lining with with Seventh's uh, injury that Felton has received a little bit more minutes. Uh, Joel Berry has gone deeper into the the first half of games, and that's the point that uh, Shrell has made several times. You know, I, I will guess it was Ohio State where Barry played the first 12 minutes of the first half, which is unheard of for you know, Roy Williams' coach team. And then he was about eight or nine minutes in against Wake uh, before Felton came in to relieve him. So that's this is part of the learning curve. And Felton's got to get a lot better defensively. But I think you can make that comment for, for all these young guys. Um, and I think that's kind of, I don't want to say the elephant in the room, but during the non-conference season, we all knew coming into this year that that is when these young guys were going to have to grow up very quickly. They were going to have plenty of opportunities, but North Carolina's season was going to hinge on the fact that those guys matured, gained some experience, gained some confidence, and were able to go into ACC play playing at a little bit higher level. Um, we knew these guys weren't elite talents, at least right now that they're going to have to kind of grow into the players they will eventually become. But I don't know if we've seen enough growth uh, to have a lot of confidence right now in what those young guys are providing. And that goes for Felton, uh, and that goes for the three bigs as well. And I, I really think that you know, Felton has to grow up very quickly. He has to be able to give them quality minutes off the bench, not just because Barry needs a breather, but because he can come in and actually help the team as we get into February and early March. And the same goes for the three bigs. Those guys, it doesn't have to be an every single night deal, but it has to be enough of a puzzle uh, piece mix up, however you want to say that, where each of the three contribute in some form or fashion over a period of games to answer some of those questions down low. We haven't seen that enough. Um, And I think North Carolina will get exposed a few times if that doesn't materialize quickly. Uh, and so have they progressed as a freshman class? Sure. Have they progressed quickly enough? Uh, at this point in time, I would say no, uh, but we'll have to wait and see the next couple of weeks exactly how that transpires. Take a quick break, come back, Ross. I'm going to ask you about the Cam Johnson-Kenny Williams dynamic. It's been interesting since Johnson's been back, but let's take a quick break before we do that. Some brands offer you low finance, or cashback, or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Ross, I think Cameron Johnson is basically a godsend for this team. And I've said it multiple times, giving what he brings. But it's interesting, you know, I ask about the Seventh Woods-Felton dynamic, but with the Cam Johnson back, Kenny Williams dynamic, Williams' play has sort of deteriorated a little bit, at least his shooting. So your thoughts on that? I mean, chemistry on ball teams is so important. Um, and now Roy Williams is 
about to head first into the away ACC slate. Your thoughts there with those two guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little too early to kind of have a takeaway on how Johnson's play is affecting Williams's play. It's been three games, so I don't want to jump to any conclusions. Uh, Williams didn't have a great shooting night against shooting day against um, the old Demon Deacons, one for six from the field, four for 11, one or six, one of six from the three point line, four from 11 from the field. But I think, I mean, I think Cameron Johnson has been exactly what UNC expected, what fans expected, and I think what they needed, other than obviously they need some sort of dominant center, but that's not going to happen. But uh, yeah, Cam Johnson's come in. He's averaging double figures. He's scoring about, you know, 10 or 11, 12 points a game. I think he's actually averaging 11.7 points a game, 22.7 minutes a game. And that, the hitting two or three threes, I think, is just kind of what you, what you can ask from him to be a defender and just kind of take the pressure offensively off of what Joel Berry and Kenny Williams have to do um, around the three-point line and on the perimeter. And I think Kenny's getting his shots. He shot the ball 11 times and took six threes against Wake Forest. Um, Cameron Johnson took seven shots, four threes, and, and he made three threes. So I don't, I don't see a huge effect. I mean, the only effect is that Kenny Williams didn't make shots. Um, I think Cameron Johnson can only help Kenny because when they're both in the game, it spreads the court and it makes the defenders respect both guys. If you watch the game <clears throat> and what what uh what they've been doing, I mean, Cameron Johnson on the secondary break, he just finds a spot either in the corner or kind of the wing and just spots up. And, and that's going to open things up for Joel Berry to drive, for Luke May to kind of drive and transition because they have to have a defender keeping an eye on where Cameron Johnson is. He's going to be on one corner setting up, ready to step into a three. And that's what he's doing, um, and he's knocked down some of those, whether in secondary transition, secondary break, or um, kind of within the half-court offense. And so that's been great, and I think he'll just get more comfortable and better as he, as he gets his, his wind and you know becomes more comfortable within the offense. Um, I don't think Kenny's in, in a slump right now. I think it's just been a game or two here with, with just some limited scoring, but he's still affecting the game in other ways, um, assists, rebounds, defense, things like that. Greg, your thoughts there? And also on Theo Pinson, I mean, the numbers that I believe Adrian Atkinson puts up, the plus minus, is ridiculous for Pinson um, in favor or for the good. <laughs> but he's still sort of the, the maddening type player we've talked about for a long time. So your thoughts on uh, Johnson Williams and then toss Pinson into the mix? Yeah, well, I think I think what you'll you'll see as we get into the – ACC season is that, that Kenny is really going to kind of uh, stand out, and he already has to some extent as kind of the defensive stopper for this perimeter unit. That's kind of what he's he's been. I mean, if you look at his minutes, even since Cam's come back, I mean he's averaging right at thirty minutes a game, which is a lot, you know, for a UNC team. And part of that is Woods being out, uh, but but you know only to a certain degree. But Roy loves that that defensive intensity that Kenny brings, and if he can provide points. Uh, you know, you know that's just a kind of a a benefit. Cameron Johnson, however, I think has a ways to go defensively. Some of that's conditioning; he's still getting up to speed. Uh, but some of that, you know, that's he's never been known for his defensive prowess. Um, so he's he's more of just kind of a lethal scorer type. So kind of different tangibles those guys bring to the the table. But each is is unique, and each is is beneficial in their their own way. So I think they can really play off of each other. They're not like you're taking one another's jobs, if that makes sense. Um, in a Penson, I think 
if you kind of watch how that Wake Forest game played out, he really did a good job of um, kind of getting into the paint, you know, making some shots, getting to the foul line. And that's really where he's best. Uh, he, he's done a really good job at improving his ability to get to the rim. You know, that's not something we, we kind of saw him do a lot in years past. Uh, but you know, turnover-wise, I mean, if, if you go through kind of his list of games, he's only had two games this year with fewer than two turnovers. Uh, and so that is that maddening aspect that you talk about, Tommy. I mean, you know, the last three games, he's had 11 turnovers. Um, and he does have the ball in his hand a lot, but he's got just as many turnovers as he does assists in those three games. And so that's not good. Now, in the five-game stretch before that, he had a very um, very significant assist-turnover ratio. So he's got to get back to that. And then the other thing is we have to kind of figure out, is he a guy that that you can trust, like you've been able to at times in the past, from the perimeter? But it seems like he's just absolutely lost all confidence in his outside shot. I think there was two times in that Wake Forest game where Ross and I'm sitting there watching, and he's got an open look from outside, and he just decides not to shoot it. And Kenny Williams did that one time. Uh, and so confidence clearly is a big part of that. So you know, he's not giving you three-point shooting. Uh, he's, he's committing too many turnovers in, in recent games. But yet he is a great kind of facilitator that we've talked about. He's a playmaker. Um, and he, he's really kind of the engine that makes this offense operate at its peak, you know, performance when he's able to get into the paint a little bit, make some good passes, whether it be to the bigs or kicking out for three point shots. So, um, you know, the, the play he had there at the end of the game where he, he kind of did like a, almost a behind the pat behind the back over his shoulder pass to Kenny Williams and then cleaned up with the offensive rebound and put back. I mean, that is incredible playmaking ability. And so you don't want to sacrifice that, but no doubt that, that he's got to be able to provide a little bit on the perimeter and he's got to do a much better job. You cutting down those turnovers that have really crept up in recent weeks. Hey, hey Greg, could the lack of confidence, you said that the confidence of Theo Pence's three point shot is completely gone. I mean, could that be a good thing for UNC? The fact that he's just going to abandon, abandon it altogether and just drive. Cause when he drives, he's so strong, just going to the basket and he has that little kind of like he puts the ball out and kind of hooks it up. I mean, his his driving game is so strong right now, and it presses the issue, and he gets in foul trouble. I think that's just the the hundred percent the best move offensively, and opens things up. I think him shooting threes just hurts the team. I think I think your point is exactly right that that is his strength, no doubt, and the team flourishes in that regard. But there are still times when he's going to be open on the perimeter, and if you've got a guy that's a wing who's a senior, and he's got a wide open shot. He needs to have the confidence to be able to pull and, and make that shot. Uh, because if not, then you get to a situation where you maybe defenses where they're in this situation where you've got the, uh, the, the small lineup with Luke May at the five. Now you don't have five guys that can shoot the three. You've only got four, which changes the dynamic of how you may want to guard that. So uh, I, I don't think he should go back to jacking up threes. I don't mean that. I just mean you know, it would be beneficial for the team, I think, if he can regain some of that confidence so that you know, he doesn't have to knock down 40% of his shots, but if he can knock down you know, three of 10 uh, and maybe capitalize on some of those wide open ones, I think that would be, that would be kind of a positive, but definitely you know, his strength is like you said, is getting into the, into the paint, dishing, finding open guys and kind of making the offense go. 
Let's turn a look at Florida State before we wrap this show. And to that point that you all make about Pinson shooting threes, I watched some of the Duke-Florida State game, and they were giving Duvall, I believe it is, that can't shoot a lick from the outside. They kept giving him open looks, and he finally took one. And it was probably the biggest shot in the game. So to Greg's point, I think Pinson's got to take it if it's there, if it's wide open. I mean, otherwise you're playing four on five. And it's, it becomes easier for other teams to defend them, especially with Carolina's inexperience and not quite thereness yet in the interior. But, Ross, let's go to you. Next two games at Florida State, at Virginia. Start with the Seminoles. I mean, what does Carolina need to do to be in this game late to give themselves an opportunity to pull them out like they've become accustomed to doing in the last couple of seasons? I mean, people always you ask questions about what UNC needs to do against the opposition. And, you know, I don't study the other opposition that much, but I always say that UNC's just got to play their own game. They're not going to try to adapt too much to the other team. They're going to pr- force the issue, and that's, force the, that's transition offense, you know, balance inside. They're going to have to score more inside, need, they're need more from Sterling Manley and Garrison Brooks. I think that is a, a big concern for UNC that we've written about and talked about a lot on the podcast. And um, and just continue to develop that dynamic between Cam Johnson and, and Theo Pinson and Kenny Williams. Um, I would look to the big men as a, a big fo- focus. It always seems that Florida State has a a seven footer or some or some athletic big men down low that have caused uh, trouble for UNC. And this is a, a good Florida State team that has proven they can win some big games. Um, but yeah, it's definitely gonna be a test, and and it's gonna be a rowdy crowd. Um, with the students probably back in town. So they don't have to change too much, just just capitalize on what they do well. And I think that's kind of always going to be UNC's, um, you know, MO on away games. Greg, Carolina's keys for Florida State, is it the interior playing well and above their heads, or is it the outside guys knocking down shots um, in excess of what they're used to? I'll actually go kind of a step beyond that, Tommy. And in Florida State, they are very long, very athletic. They like to get up and down the court, which I think works in North Carolina's favor. Because as much as we've talked about the three-point shot and forcing the ball down low, uh, what we haven't seen this team do a lot this season is really force the ball in, in transition. And when they've done that, they've had success. You know, Roy was lamenting the, the fact that against Wake, Wake outscored them 15-5 to in fast break points. Now, that's kind of unheard of. And so I think for North Carolina to really thrive in this setting in Tallahassee, and this is going to be, of course, completely different than what happens in Charlottesville on Saturday. But to really thrive in Tallahassee, they've got to be able to force the ball in transition because the Seminoles will run with them. But they've got to limit those turnovers, which Theo Pinson's play comes into the conversation here. He's got to make smart decisions, uh, not take too many risks. Uh, and they've got to play clean. Your turnovers has been a big issue with this team, not just Theo. But, you know, they've been averaging upwards of 15 a game over the last, I'm not sure, seven or eight games, which is way too many. You know, Roy's happy with 10 to 12 maybe. But when you add three, four, five on top of that, that becomes a problem. So play clean transition ball, uh, and that'll lead to some open looks from outside. Then you've got to knock them down. Uh, and that also kind of alleviates some of the pressure on the inside because, if those bigs are in transition and are in that secondary break, well, they can score relatively easy. The issue is, is when you get into the half court set, 
And you've got guys like, you know, Phil Cofer, who is an incredible athlete, a 6'8", 220. And then you got the big guy, the big freshman down low, Ike Obiagu, is actually how you say his name. He's the Kimbe Matumbo's nephew, I believe, seven foot 240. Um, and so, you know, Drow Moore, who is not a stud by any measure for Wake Forest, but he's a big seven footer. He posed all kinds of troubles for UNC uh, last weekend. And so, you know, maybe Ike's the kind of guy that can do that same kind of thing for Leonard Hamilton. And so those half-court sets is really where you have to be very um, efficient. You can't have any miscues. You, you have to be uh, creative. You have to make, make your outside shots, but you also don't have to just settle for those outside shots. You have to be able to get good looks at the rim. But I really think you know, transition offense and being able to score that way is the way that North Carolina wins this game. Yeah, and, and real quick, I mean, just looking at their schedule, they ran with Duke. I didn't watch that game on Saturday, but Duke won – 193 obviously a high scoring game for an ACC contest just kind of shows that there were a lot of shots taken and a lot of points scored and and Florida State was kind of there until the end just based on that score without any knowledge of what really happened in the game and their other loss is a 71-70 defeat at, uh, to Oklahoma State which obviously power five teams so they only have two losses both games seem to be relatively close and yeah, they, they beat Florida by 17 yeah, so yeah. I watched that game they were, they were pretty impressive in that game so this is a this is a good Florida State team that seems to have the firepower and the offense to to run with a Carolina and a Duke and and teams like that. Yeah, I watched as much of that Florida State Duke game as I could stomach, and it was pretty <laughs> impressive on both sides with the athletes. But Florida State, they've always had those guys that are long and can play. They just have struggled at end of games. They did against Duke. That's why I say if Carolina can keep it close, they've certainly got a chance. 7 o'clock Wednesday night on ESPN 2, I think. Greg Ross, appreciate you taking time to join me. Appreciate it, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.